of God's word. Could you grab it and turn with me to 1 John 5? That's where we find ourselves today as we are nearing the completion of this series. We're beginning chapter 5, the final chapter of 1 John. And as we as we enter this final chapter, we see John doing something very purposeful with his words. John is seeking to remind the people who were the recipients of this letter of why he was writing in the first place. See, John was writing this letter to this church because these Christians had been beleaguered by false teaching and false doctrine. And so John, throughout the letter, you've probably picked up on this, John is continuing to repeat themes that are essential and crucial to their faith. They were wondering, are we genuine Christians? Do we actually have a a, a faith that endures through difficulty? What about this false teaching? Well, John writes to set the record straight, and he does it once again in our in in this section, uh, chapter 5, verses 1 through 5 this morning. He wants to again set the record straight that they may have confidence in their faith. And I, I take this to mean that God, because he ordained that we would be in verses 1 through 5 this morning, wants to help us afresh this morning to have confidence in our faith. The people to whom this letter was originally written aren't the only people who need that kind of confidence in the work of God. And so we read this and we are encouraged. He reminds them specifically, uh, just before we read verses 1 through 5, he, he reminds them specifically that assurance for the Christian flows from the gift of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit at rebirth, he, he indwells us and he abides with us. So in the previous chapter, John tells us uh, that by this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us his spirit. So the spirit is a gift to us to assure us that we are the children of God. In fact, Paul In Romans 8 says this, the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. So God gives us the gift of the Holy Spirit at regeneration so that we might know, so that the spirit can testify within our own hearts that we are the children of God. But the assurance doesn't end there, dear friends. The assurance is therefore demonstrated in the life of the Christian who has the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in a number of ways. And John, particularly in this letter, he focuses on two particular ways that is seen when the Holy Spirit indwells us. He says, when when we are born again by God, we will have genuine faith in Jesus Christ and we will have genuine love for others, we, we see those two themes woven throughout every chapter of this letter as, as John is seeking to assure these believers that they, in fact, are genuinely born again. So this, this genuine faith will incline our hearts to obey him happily and, and walk with the Lord. It will incline our hearts to genuinely love other people, even people who may be difficult to love. John writes this morning, to assure the people of God 
that they can have confidence. So with that as our backdrop, we're going to read now. Again, 1 John 5, I'm reading verses 1 through 5. And as I read it, let me remind us all that this is the perfect word of God. We will never get any counsel from this word that is contrary to truth. It's perfect. It's set apart. It's distinct from every writing and every book in the world. That's what we're hearing now. These are the very words of God. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of Him. By this, we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey His commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments. And His commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? May God bless the preaching of his word and write its eternal truths on our hearts today. It's interesting, last week, Chris reminded us that that at certain times, certainty really matters. I was reminded of that this week as I brought my car into the shop for some repairs. And as I was driving home, and the repairs had to do with the brakes. So that means the wheels of my car were off. That means my brakes were being worked on this week. And if I didn't have certainty as I drove home from the garage... Um, it would destroy my enjoyment of the drive. It would joy, uh, it would destroy any confidence that I would have in driving that thing because if the brakes weren't fixed correctly, or let's say that they forgot to tighten the nuts on the bolts of the wheel that holds them to the car, you know, I'm going down the highway at 55 miles an hour. I have no confidence that I'm going to live through this ordeal because I'm not sure. And so see, certainty matters to us. If it matters when you're driving a car, something as simple as that, how much more so does certainty matter in issues related to our faith? I mean, what can be more important in our life than our faith in, in where we're going to be for all eternity? We are, we are people who are created to be alive for eternity, either in heaven with the Lord or in hell apart from him. So what could be more important to be absolutely certain of than our eternal destiny? And that's why John takes his time to write to them, to appeal to them out of care and love for them that they might be certain. So how does he do this in these five verses? He uses this phrase, if you notice, this phrase, born of God. He uses it three times in these five verses, there's something John is signaling to us. And I want us to walk through this passage looking for the ways, the effects of the fact that we have been born of God. In fact, I see four here. There may be more, but these are the four that stand out to me. So where we're going, our roadmap this morning, we're going we're gonna to look at four effects of being born of God. Effect number one, those who are born of God have been given 
faith in Jesus Christ. Look with me again at verse 1. John is very clear here. He says, Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. See, faith in Christ is the fruit of being born in God. That's what he's saying. He's saying if the assurance of our faith is based on something that we did, well, then we would lack confidence, right? If my faith is based on something that Jeremy Bell did, I would not have confidence because I don't have confidence in myself to understand anything rightly. He's trying to draw their attention to the fact that God has regenerated their hearts. And after their hearts have been regenerated, he has granted to them faith. Faith comes after God has regenerated us. Listen, we heard uh, Ephesians 1 this morning. I want to read again from Ephesians 2. This is what God says. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Now, let's look at that closely. What is Paul saying? He's saying that we were spiritually dead. Spiritually dead people can't make any spiritually good decisions because they're spiritually dead. God was the one who caused us, who made us to be alive. God is the one who regenerates us. That's what John is saying here. He's saying everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ, if you believe that, that's because you have been acted upon by God himself. That that belief didn't just come from yourself. It came from God. That is what the gift of regeneration is. It is the gift of faith. So regeneration is first, then faith follows that. Listen as well to Peter. I, I like appealing on this note to the counsel of God's word. Listen to First Peter 1.3. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has, what are the next words? He has caused us. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope. See, the emphasis of the New Testament writers are that people who were dead are unable to act for themselves, but God, who is great in mercy, he acts upon us. He causes us to be born again. Therefore, we have a living and vibrant hope. And that's what John is seeking to emphasize to these beleaguered Christians who are wondering, do I have a real hope? Where does my hope come from? He's saying, look, if you believe in Jesus Christ, it's because God has acted upon you. It's because God has granted you faith after he has regenerated you. It's a beautiful thing. It causes our hearts to rise in worship and adoration because of our good God. God has caused dead people like me to be born again. Praise the Lord. This is what God does for us. He assures us of his work by giving us his Holy Spirit, and he assures us of his great work by granting us through being born again. He grants us this faith. 
and this faith is active. And John wants these people and God wants us. He wants us all to be assured of his great and perfect work in our midst by showing us that we have been born of God. This is God's activity and we rejoice in it. Amen? It's so good that God has done this good work. Well, what's another effect of being born of God? We have faith in Jesus Christ, John says, and then let's continue the verse. We have love for one another. He says, everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. So uh, another way to say it is, if we have been born of God, it can't be any other way that we would not love the other people who have been born of God. If we say we love the Father and and the love for one another is not in us, we're, we're lying to ourselves. But he says, if you if you truly love the Father, then you will love the ones that the Father has loved as well. You'll, you'll love the people of the family of God. Now, it doesn't end there. Of course, we love the world. We love our enemies. Jesus makes that very plain. But he is pointing to a certain reality within the body of Christ. He is, he is saying, listen, it would be inconsistent for you to say, I love the Lord with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength, and then turn and hate someone who also loves the Lord with their heart, mind, soul, and strength. Wouldn't that be inconsistent, he's saying? No, uh, very clearly, everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of that same Father. He's he's making a point that we in the family of Christ, we we really are family. In fact, we're blood family because it's the blood of Jesus Christ that has borne us again. It's, it's through the shedding of his blood that we have remission of sins. And so you talk about blood family. It doesn't get any deeper than that. We are the blood family of God. We have been born again. We have been regenerated by God through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. So we are family. That's why this this pronouncement this morning that that we're looking forward to regathering is so exciting because we get to regather with the people of God. There should be a particular affection in my heart and in your heart if you're born again for those who are also born again. We are the family. When we gather for church, it's like a family reunion because we are the people of God. This is the effect, dear friends, not just of us trying to conjure this up on our own. No, it's because we have been born of God that now we can love. We we are inclined to love the people of God. Now, I understand that from time to time, there may be difficulty in loving people within the family of God. We all can struggle at different times and moments. Uh, people can hurt us. People can, can do hard things. It, John's not denying any of that. He's simply painting in broad strokes this beautiful picture of what God has intended for his people to be as family together. People who have been redeemed and acted on by God that we might give God glory in the way that we love one another. 
By this will all people know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So, so you know, when, when you love on the people of God in particular, when, when you bring a meal to someone in these days, when you put, when you put cookies in people's mailboxes, when you send someone a text and say, Hey, I'm thinking about you today. Uh, I love you in the Lord. Or here's a scripture that comes to mind. Or here's the way that I just see God at work in you. When you do those things, do you know what you're doing? You're actually offering worship to God because that gives him glory. You are, you are being and doing the very thing that he's saying here because everyone who loves those who have been born of the Father, that, that gives God glory and it gives him praise. It says to God, your family is worth something precious to me. And so as we love any person, we give glory to God. But in particular for this passage, he's saying, look, as you love the people of God, especially the household of faith, you are fulfilling the very purpose for which God has created you in the family of God as you reflect the character of his nature. Remember a few weeks ago, we talked about God's self-giving outward nature. Well, as you do these things, as you, as we love one another in the church, we are reflecting God, which gives glory to God and praise to God. So I just want to encourage us together as we love one another. This is the expression of God's love in our hearts. He says it in in a different way in verse two, and we're just going to look at that for a moment. Look at verse two with me. He says this, by this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. Now on first reading of that, um, we might think, oh, John, did you get that wrong? Usually we might think that John would have reversed the order like by this we know that we love God when we love the children of God. But but this time he's using the opposite argument. It might read to us a little funny, but I believe what he's saying is this. We know that we love the children of God when when what's on display is our love for God and our obedience for his commands. In other words, an evidence that we love the people of God is reflected in the way that we love God himself and the way that we love and obey his commands, which really flows nicely into the third effect of being born of God. So we have, if we're born of God, we've been given a genuine faith in Jesus Christ. We have love for one another. And thirdly, now we, we desire to obey his commands. We, we have obedience toward his desirable commands. Look at verse three with me. For this is the love of God that we keep his commands. See, genuine love for God will result in the keeping of God's commands. Let's take a step back just for a moment and think about the Old Testament law, the Old Testament commandments. What did the law in the Old Testament accomplish? Well, it helped us to see, among other things, that we could never keep the law by ourselves. It helped us to see that we needed a savior. See, the law was given to help us see our hearts accurately and clearly and to demonstrate to us that we were sinners, 
that we need someone outside of us to rescue us and to save us. So the law was given that we might understand our need for a savior. So, so the story of the Old Testament through the giving of the law is that, you know, you'll never be able to keep this law, which means you need someone. And so the old, all of the Old Testament is looking forward to the fulfillment of this promise given all the way back in Genesis 3 of a redeemer. And so all of the Old Testament is, is pointing forward and eagerly awaiting the promise of this redeemer. See, what happened in the garden was that, that God and perspective about his commands and laws was twisted by Satan. God, God's word was made out to be something from which God wanted to hide very good things. And so Satan skillfully twisted God, God's word to mean the exact opposite. So when God said to Adam and Eve, hey, don't eat from that tree, it's not because he was trying to keep something good from them. It's because he knew what was best for Adam and Eve. Satan twisted those words and they unfortunately, they believed Satan and fell into sin because they thought that the commands of God were a burden, that they were something to get rid of, that they were something to shed, like something that we want to get away with. And so like, boy, if God's commands are bad, then I'm not going to do them. They, to Adam and Eve, God's commands were burdensome. And John is saying there's something that happens here when we are born again. See, there's something that happens. The commands that Adam and Eve saw as a burden for us are no longer a burden because he changes our perspective about God. We don't see God as the burden one. We see God as the good one, as the self-sacrificing one. Do you see? I love this phrase. At the end of verse three, he says, and his commandments are not burdensome. See, when we're born again, it changes our entire perspective on the word of God. You know, you ask somebody on the street, hey, you, if you're holding a Bible and you ask him, what do you think about this book? A lot of people are going to tell you, boy, it's all about rules and regulations and what you can't do. And like, I don't want to be near that book. You ask a Christian who holds the word of God, what do you think about this book? And they'll say to you, this book holds the words of life. This book holds truth for my soul. And as I follow what God says in this book, you know what comes to me? Life comes to me. Joy comes to me. Confidence comes to me. Hope comes to me because that's what this word of these commands, they're not a burden to me. They're a joy to me. I, I could not help but think of Psalm 19 when thinking about this, this word that his commands are not burdensome. Let me just be refreshed as I, I read again what the word of God says about the word of God. Psalm 19, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise, the simple, the precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. Say it with me if you know it. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. 
More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. And, and especially pay attention to this last verse. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. So there's an element of warning in the word of God. And in keeping them, there is what? There is great reward. The Old Testament speaking forward to the New Testament into John, 1 John 5, 3. His commands are not burdensome. In keeping them, there is great reward. Oh, that God would give us faith to believe that all the time. Why do I fall into sin? It's because for a moment, I have forgotten that in keeping God's words, there is great reward. It's because in that moment, I have, I have fallen into unbelief against God's holy and perfect character and said, you know what? I think I know better than your word. And so I'm going to go my way and I'm going to yield myself to this sin, thinking that it will bring me satisfaction, a satisfaction greater than what the word of God will yield to me. Oh, foolish me that God would help me to believe that God would help us, dear church, to believe that his commands are not burdensome. I was reading a book this week by David Jackman and he was reflecting on this very passage and he said this, I thought this is a great imagery. He says, his commands are no more burdensome than wings are to a bird. I like that. His commands are no more burdensome than wings are to a bird. You know, this morning I got up early and I was headed out to my car, uh, at 545 and, and you know, the, the, the light was just coming up and, and when I stepped outside, I was really struck this morning by the, the songs of the birds all around me. There, there was just this mighty chorus going on and, and it actually, I had to stop at my car and just pause for about a minute and listen to the song of the birds. And then as if, inspired by God. I don't know. I just saw this one bird, my eyes locked on this one bird as it was flying through my yard. And I just was able to watch that bird go and saw his wings move to the right and to the left. It looked like he was having a blast getting to where he was intended to go. And he got there by virtue of his wings. Had he not had his wings, he wouldn't have been propelled. Do you see it? The commands of God are no more burdensome than wings are to a bird. In the same way that the wings carry that bird to where it's intended to go, God's word carries us to where he intends us to go. His commands are not burdensome. So Paul, the apostle Paul, reflecting on all of these these great riches of the wisdom of God. He says this, Oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments and how inscrutable His ways. Oh, church, may the commands of Christ to us not seem like a burden to us. Remember, Jesus calls to us and He says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Sometimes his commands are hard. And the reason that they're hard is we don't want to follow them. 
We don't want to yield ourselves. We want to be in charge. We want to do what we want to do. But dear friends, the word of scripture commends itself to us this morning when it says his commands are not burdensome, which leads us finally to our the fourth indication and the fruit of being born of God. Look at verse 4 and 5. He says, victory over the world. For everyone who has been born of God, there's that phrase again, for everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. Now, what's the inherent truth in that statement? Apparently, there are forces at work in the world that will seek to overwhelm the Christian. We sang this in a mighty fortress is our God. You know, there are, there are workers of woe. There are ones who would like to suppress us. But everyone, dear friends, who has been born of God overcomes the world. Now, what does he mean again by stating the world? The world could be phrased as anything that is in opposition to God and to his purposes. John says earlier in chapter 2, things like the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, pride in possessions, those are the things of the world. And John is assuring them. Listen to this assurance this morning. This is such a great word from the Lord for us. Everyone who is born again overcomes the world. Now, why is that such great news? It's such great news because the power and the allurement of sin has been definitively broken by the new birth in Christ. We are a new creation. We have been given a new heart. He's removed from us this heart of stone and put in its place a heart of flesh that now beats for God, that now sees the commands of God as not a burden, but a delight. A heart that knows that in keeping the words of God, there is great reward. And now we have victory over the allurements and the enticements of sin in our world. And and dear friends, I've been a believer for quite some time now. I wish I could say to you that I'm not tempted by any of the sins of the flesh or of the world. I am, but praise God, this is an ultimate declaration that we have the victory, though we may stumble at times, though we may fall. If we are confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Though we may stumble, though we may fall, the victory is ours for everyone who is born again. See, this indwelling of the Holy Spirit, we now have the power to resist sin. We have the power to say no to sin and to say yes to the movement of God. First John reminds us, you know, Jesus didn't come to negotiate with Satan over his works. He didn't come to strike a deal. No, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Praise the Lord. The victory, dear friends, is ours. I was stirred afresh by reading by an old faithful friend, Piper, when he says this, Faith says to every temptation of the world, No, be gone. I know where true satisfaction is to be found. 
God has loved me with an infinite love. He promises to work everything together for good for those who love him. He withholds no good thing from those who walk uprightly. Nothing you world can offer can compare to the joy of his fellowship now and the glory to to be revealed hereafter. World, you have lost your power. That's what John is saying to these dear beleaguered Christians. That's what John is saying. That's what God is saying to us on this Sunday morning. World, you have lost your power. You no longer have the ability to hold sway over us. We have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Our heart has been changed. We're inclined to Him. We love His Word. Dear friends, we can have confidence in this great work of God because He has come to destroy the works of the devil and to give us life. And so John ends with this. Who is it that overcomes, verse 5, the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Dear friends, this morning, I hope this word encourages you. Do you see the amazing effects of being born of God? We are given faith in Jesus Christ. We are given love for one another in the family of God. We are blood-bought brothers and sisters. His commandments, which formerly were disreputable to us, they now become beautiful to the people of God. They hold the way of life, the way of truth. We rejoice that the victory is ours over the world. Sin, death, the devil, they're all vanquished. They've all been destroyed. Though they won't, we won't be free of them until that day when our, our sight will be made real as we see Jesus face to face and all those things they just go away I just want to encourage us today on this Sunday morning as we gather with God's people as we are here now sitting under the word of God may God strengthen you and may God strengthen me to believe his word to know with confidence that he has acted upon us And he has granted us faith that as we love one another, we're bringing him glory. That as we obey his word, there is great reward and that the victory is ours. You know, I I just want to say one further thing. There may be some this morning who are struggling and fighting with a particular sin. And right now it may seem that that sin is gaining the upper hand in your heart. But you're a believer. You know Christ. You know He set you free. I I believe the Lord just wants to assure you this morning that yours is the victory in Jesus Christ. That He is going to help you as you die to yourself, as you submit your heart to the Word of God, that He's going to strengthen you to overcome as you put your trust in Jesus Christ. So now let me pray and ask God, to work these encouragements deep into our hearts. Lord, thank you for this word. Thank you that you have given us your living word because it's beautiful to us. 
We take comfort and encouragement from it. We pray that you would strengthen us today with these truths that you have overcome the world in our faith that you have granted to us. There's nothing that we fear now because you have done it all. Build our faith. Build our confidence in you. Strengthen us for your purposes. Lord, hear our prayer. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name we ask these things. Amen.